Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles and turn back to Galatians chapter 3. As you're turning there, one of golf's immortal moments, it came when a Scotsman demonstrated the new game to President Ulysses Grant. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, he stepped back, he lined it up, and he took a mighty swing. His club, it hit the turf, and it scattered dirt all over the President's beard and all over the surrounding area while the ball, it stayed right there on the tee. Again, the Scotsman, he stepped back, he swung, and again, he missed. The president, he waited patiently through six tries, and then he quietly stated, "Hmm, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in the game, but I fail to see the purpose of the ball. And now some of you non-golfers, you're probably saying, well, I do too, I'm right there with him. Purpose, it's what we're talking about in our message today. Now, that's not the purpose of the golf ball, but the purpose of our lives. Think about it. Why are we here? We know how we got here, but what's the purpose for which God, which he put us right here in Cherryvale? Have you come to a good conclusion for that question? The man's name was John Gardner. He was the Secretary of Health and Education and Welfare under President Lyndon B. Johnson. He said this. He said, it's a rare and high privilege to help people understand the difference they can make. Not only in their own lives, but also in the lives of others, simply by the giving of themselves. Gardner told a story of a cheerful old man who asked the same question of just about every new person that he met and he had a conversation with. This is what he said. He said, what have you done that you believe in and you are proud of? He never asked any conventional questions that you or I might ask. Things like, how are you doing? Where do you live? What do you do? It was always, what have you done that you believe in and are proud of? It was an unsettling question for many people who had built their self-esteem on their wealth, their family name, or their exalted job title. It's not that the old man was a fierce interrogator. He was delighted by a woman who answered this way. She said, I'm doing a good job raising my three children. And by a cabinet maker who said, I believe in good workmanship and I practice it. And also by a woman who said, I started a bookstore and it's the best bookstore for miles around. The old man said, I don't really care how they answer the question. I just want to put the thought into their minds. They should live their lives in such a way that they can have a good answer to that question. Not a good answer for me, but a good answer for themselves. That's what's important. And I would say to that, he's got it right. What have you done that you believe in and are proud of? Is it the size of your checking account? Is it your collection of possessions? Is it your family, your children? Is it your career advancements? Have you noticed how there seems to be, some people view that their work, their responsibilities, they're more important than others. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you drive a a route truck for a distributor. It's a hard job with long hours and heavy lifting, but often it pays a decent salary. However, many in this profession, they really don't see it with much of a future. 
I suspect they think that lifting the soda crates or lifting the boxes or whatever it is they're doing all day long, it doesn't exactly fit with what many think of as being successful in life. But really, who said we're supposed to be successful in life? Where does that idea come from anyway? Well, it comes from the world, right? We get this blasted idea all the time, this idea that unless we're making a good salary, unless we're working decent hours, and we're also doing something that we like to do, well, then we're just not successful. But listen, friends, nowhere in Scripture, no place do I find that we're supposed to be successful in the world's eyes. In fact, if we are, we may not be right in the eyes of God. Here's the purpose of life for the Christian, regardless of who you are. Regardless of what you do, as Paul put it, it's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can someone drive a truck? Can they drive a truck of any kind and do his work to the glory of God? Can someone work a farm field and do his work to the glory of God? Can someone teach in public school and do his work or her work to the glory of God? Can someone stock shelves or ring up a cash register in a store and do his work to the glory of God? Of course, right? You do a good job. You be pleasant. You be respectful. You be a good worker. And you demonstrate a good spirit to everyone you come in contact with. And even you can be a witness for Christ whenever you can. Speak a good word for Christ whenever the opportunity arises. And that applies really to all of us. And when we get the purpose right, the promises of God, they are even more meaningful in our life. What do I mean? When we figure out that we're here for the Lord's glory and we're not here for anything on our own to lift up ourselves or anything like that, then the promise of God will have an even greater meaning for us in life. Let's look at what Paul's teaching us this morning. Please stand in honor of reading God's Word. I'll be reading from the third chapter of Galatians, verses 15 through 25. It says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promises by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for its truths. 
Lord, I pray that you'll bring this text to life for us. Help us understand how we are to live according to the law, but we are not saved. Our salvation does not come from the law. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Help us understand the difference between your law and the grace that you provide, the promises that you give. We thank you, God, for all that you're going to do in us and through us this morning. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin this morning by saying, as we've seen over the past few weeks, there were some teachers in these Galatian churches. They were teaching a false doctrine. It was a very dangerous doctrine. Do you remember what they were teaching? Yeah, it was that a person was not or they cannot be saved by the grace of God alone. That a man, that he had to do something. He had to keep the rituals of the church. He had to live according to the law. And he had to be doing all of these good works that he could possibly do. Oh, they stated it very simply. If a man, if he wanted to be acceptable to God... He had to be the very best person he could be. He had to be as religious as he could be. And he had to keep all the laws of God that he could. Of course, we know, friends, that this is totally wrong. Because a person is justified by faith alone. And not by being religious. Not by being a good person. Not by keeping the law. Religion, good works in the law. Understand, they all have their place in the plan of God and in the life of man. But man is not saved and made acceptable to God by anything he can do in his own effort. We cannot earn, win, or gain favor or merit God's acceptance. Look, no matter how good or how disciplined you may think you are, you're still falling way short of God's glory, which is what? It's perfection. Despite how hard we try, we're still polluted with selfishness, with pride, with greed, lack of love, anger, bitterness, prejudice, impatience, and the list, friends, is nearly endless. We're all guilty of so much so often that we fall way short of God's glory. We come up ever so short of perfection. And what we're going to see today as we look at these best two gifts ever is that God's covenant, the law, and God's promise to Abraham, they are the best two gifts ever. Why? Because they prove that justification is by faith and not by works of the law. Let's see if we can discern what Paul's saying here. First, under number one, let's examine the blessings of the covenant. Another way to say this might be, let's look at the purpose of the law. How can the law, how can it be one of the best gifts ever? Well, let's find out. Look with me at verse 19 again. It says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. I'm sure some of you have heard of this company called Youth Specialties. They're a training organization for Christian youth leaders. One of their co-founders, Mike Iaconelli, in an edition of the Wittenberg Door, it's a Christian satire and humor magazine, he had written this. He said, I live in a small rural community. There are lots of cattle ranchers around here, and every once in a while a cow wanders off and gets lost. When you ask a rancher how a cow gets lost, chances are he will reply this way. He says, well, the cow starts nibbling on a tuft of green grass. When it gets done with that grass, it looks ahead to the next tuft of green grass, and he starts nibbling on that one. And then it nibbles on a tuft of grass that's right next to a hole in the fence. It then sees another tuft of green grass on the other side of that fence. So it goes and it nibbles on that one and then goes on to the next tuft. 
the next thing that you know, the cow has nibbled itself into being lost. He said Americans are in the process right now of nibbling their way to being lost. We keep moving from one tuft of activity to another, never noticing just how far we have gone from home or how far away from the truth we have managed to end up. Boy, howdy, how true is that? Years ago, there was a commercial. Unfortunately, I think it was for a Virginia Slims brand of cigarette. It said this. It said, we've come a long way, baby. We've come a long way? From where? To where? When we take inventory of all that we have in America today, it seems like we have everything, more than we could possibly ever want. Think about what you have now. Think about that in comparison to what you had when you were a kid, especially if you're from my generation. I know some of you are even older than that. But it's a different era today, isn't it? For many years, we had no, and kids, don't, don't get too upset with this, we had no television. I know, right? No computers, no game systems, no smartphones. What did we do? Well, we went outside and we played. We weren't worried about so many things. Life's pace was slow and we always had time to be neighborly. And now, just look at where we are today. Not only do we have everything, but we also do everything. But you see, everything we do, it, it isn't always good. Or it isn't always godly, is it? For example, how about the LGBT movement? For many, it's a very acceptable lifestyle today. But back in the day, back in our time, it was unheard of. And it wasn't called gay. It wasn't called an alternative lifestyle as, as it is today. How about the difference in movies today? I mean, think about back to the 50s and 60s. Back in those days, there was very little sexual activity compared to today. Where I've got to say, when you watch movies, there is mucho sexual activity in almost every movie. And, well, that's even same gender stuff. We can't go see an R-rated movie today or else you'll be filled with filthy language, extreme violence, and sexual explicitness. And all I can do is I can shake my head and I just wonder what in the world has happened to our world. We've gone from bad to worse in regard to sinful behavior. And as, as it's often suggested, is nothing sacred anymore? No, right? I mean, not in America and especially not in Hollywood. So Paul asks, why then the law? And this is what he says. It was added because of transgressions. He says, because of continued sin. Apparently mankind didn't know it had sinned until God stated his law. Oh, I think there was a certain amount of inborn realization of sin or that something in the way that they were living and acting, that it wasn't right. But God gave man his law so that this sin, it would be specifically spelled out as in thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, and so on. It's like when your children are small. There are many things that they can't understand. And that's when mom and dads, they go around saying, oh, no, 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 don't do that. No, 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 until they've learned what a no-no meant. Well, God's list of no-no's. It was given to us in that Old Testament law. And the people, they needed it to understand where they had sinned against God and against man. So looking at it that way, in that sense, the law was not bad. But there was a bad side to the law. What was that? 
We find that in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The bad side of the law, friends was really twofold. First is this, no person could or ever will be able to completely fulfill the law in its entirety. None. No one. Nobody can ever live a perfect life. The second is this, the law made no one just in the eyes of God. We could only be made righteous, how? By faith. In verses 21 through 23, look what it says. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promises by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Before faith, it says we were what? We were prisoners of the law. But now, now that Jesus Christ, now that he has been revealed, we live how? By faith in him. In Christ, friends, we are free. We're free to live. But notice, we're not free to live as we please. We're free to live as he pleases. We can do whatever we want. But we're constrained by our faith and our love to do as he wants us to do. Our greatest motivation for doing right is Jesus Christ. It's not the law. And only by faith in Christ can we be made whole. So first we saw the blessings of the covenant. We're going to close this morning looking at under number two. Let's look at the beauty of the promise. Let's look at the promise of God. Look at his enduring promise. Listen friends, how many times have you used those words... I promise. I promise. Few words can bring more hope or more disappointment. I mean, have you ever promised your children a summer trip? Maybe to the beach, maybe to Disneyland, maybe just a world of fun or Six Flags or whatever. And after you did that, what happens? Your kids, they run around hailing you as parent of the year, right? You are the greatest. Look what my dad is doing for me. But what happens when things change? What happens when you have to go back to your kids and say, sorry, I'm sorry, but the trip is canceled. First of all, you better have an escape route planned, right? I mean, we all know that people can go from excitement, they can go from that delight to this disappointment and despair in just a matter of seconds. All because of what? How we treat those two little words, I promise. The reason these words, they are so packed with emotion is that we live in a world of broken promises. From missed appointments to missed games. From canceled date nights to impending divorce. From missed payments to bankruptcy. At some point in time, friends, we've all experienced the pain of broken promises. Even though the whole fabric of our society, that it rests on people keeping their word... More and more, friends, what we see is these threads of this fabric wearing thin as promises get broken, and that leads to broken relationships and to broken lives. Sadly, a person's word is only as good as that person's character and their capacity. How does God address this? Let's look again at verse 18. 
says, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by what? By a promise. Our inheritance in Christ depends on faith in God's promise, not the law. God made a promise, and by His perfect nature, friends, He will surely keep His promise. The Royal Gorge Bridge over the Arkansas River in Colorado. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's the tallest suspension bridge in the world. It rises some 1,053 feet above the water below. And if you walk out on that bridge, in the middle of it, there's a sign. And it reads this, no fishing from the bridge. Now, I've got to say that begs the question, I'm sure you're thinking this, right? How could a person ever fish from a bridge that's that high? There's no way, right? In the same manner, there's many that want to say, how could a person be saved by a law that's impossible to obey completely? There's no way, right? Commentator William Barclay, he wrote this. He said, how can we achieve a right relationship with God? Shall we try to achieve it by a meticulous and even self-torturing obedience to the law? By performing endless deeds, by observing every small regulation that the law lays down? If we take that way. We are forever in default, for man's imperfection can never fully satisfy the perfection of God. We are forever frustrated, forever climbing up a hill in which the peak it never comes in sight. We're forever under condemnation. But if we simply abandon this hopeless struggle and we bring ourselves, we bring our sin to God, then the grace of God opens its arms to us and we are at peace with God who is no longer judge but our Father. Amen, right? Yeah. There's no way that any of us could ever fulfill or live up to God's requirement for righteousness. It's futile, friends. It's a waste of our time. It is a waste of our money. But as William Barclay says, when we open ourselves up to His promise by faith, we can become justified before God. It's God's plan, and it will be done. It'll be done His way or not at all. And when we play the game His way, His blessings and His grace, it floods our souls and it floods our lives. Commentator B.W. Johnson in the People's New Testament wrote this, The inheritance was given to Abraham by promise, and ours depends on the promise. All hope, friends, is in the gospel, but also our only hope is in the gospel. William Barclay went on to write, The principle of law and the principle of faith are quite opposite. You can't direct your life by both at one time and at the same time. You must choose. And therefore, the only logical choice is to abandon the way of legalism and to venture upon the way of faith, of taking God at His word and of trusting in His love. Amen? Yeah. Galatians 3, verse 24 and 25 says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Someone once made a comparison between this law and a plumb line. You all know what a plumb line is, right? I'm sure you do. Duh, I mean, it writes it's this line with this plumb on the bottom, right? Hanging down. No, okay, right, that's not it. Webster, it defines it this way. A line as a cord that has at one end a weight such as a plumb bob. And it is used especially to determine verticality. Or if we want to put that in spiritual terms, it's used to determine alignment. Vertical alignment with our Father. 
This is how the comparison was made. It says, when a builder wants to check his work, he uses a weighted string to see if it's true to the vertical. But if he finds that he has made a mistake, he doesn't use that plumb line to correct it. What does he do, friends? He gets out his hammer, and he gets out his saw, and he fixes the problem. He says the law, it points out the problem of sin, that we're out of alignment with God, but it doesn't provide a solution to sin. I've heard it also stated this way. It says the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, but it's not the broom that sweeps it clean. Friends, remember... The law has an important but limited role in our lives. The law's purpose is not to give us life, but to help guide us, to help kind of be those guardrails as we're going down, living out life, the life that we already have. When we need motivation, we must look to the person and the work of Jesus, and we must fully trust in His promises to us. We must seek to live that life that God would have us live by faith and not according to the law, looking to God's gracious provision in Christ rather than to God's sober demands in His law. We must not ignore the law, but let it guide us. We must not seek to derive life from it, but let it be our guardrails. And also remember, we must root our lives in God's promises, not in God's laws. This is what it means to be gospel-rooted. People who root their lives in the law rather than the gospel, they tend to be cold. They're prickly. They're sharp. They're brittle. They're really not pleasant to be around at all, at least not close up. They're what I would call spiritual porcupines. You don't want to get pricked by them. So we must not root our lives in God's law, but instead we root our lives in the sustaining soil of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We do that. By filling up our lives with the lush, happy fruit of obedience in Jesus Christ. And finally, we must rely on the Holy Spirit by faith for the motivation that we need to live. Motivation to live to the glory of God. It's in accord with God's will. And it comes in two ways. By treasuring God's promises in His Word. And by experiencing God's presence through His Holy Spirit. And these two friends, the Word and the Spirit, always. They always, always always go hand in hand. The Spirit of God loves to honor the Son of God, who is the Word of God. As we look at our Bibles, we look there to find the strength that we need, treasuring all of God's promises that are for us in Jesus Christ. We can trust that the Spirit will take our little spark of intention, and He will turn that into a flame of gospel-rooted motivation, all to the glory of God. Let me just close with this. Is it really impossible to keep the law? I mean, if we're really focused, if we're really disciplined, if we're committed, I mean, aren't we at least able to fulfill the Ten Commandments? How hard can it be for us to keep from murdering, to keep from committing adultery or bearing a false witness? Consider your own life. Have you murdered? Have you been unfaithful in your marriage? Have you perjured yourself in a court of law? Chances are you're sitting there saying, nope, nope, haven't done that, nope. Nope, nope, nope. And you come out looking what? Pretty clean, right? But let's consider what Jesus said is required to keep the commandments perfectly. Look what Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It says, You have heard that it was said that to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that who, everyone who is angry with his brother... Uh-oh. You ever been angry? 
Anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, that ring home with anybody, will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. How are you feeling now about your so-called self-righteousness? Now let's look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now I'm presuming it's time for some of you to hide on that one, right? Bottom line is this, friends. Jesus is saying that keeping the law, it is not just a matter of outward conformity, but it requires absolute purity in our thoughts and in our motives. How many of us fall way short in this area? Don't raise your hands. If we would go back into Exodus chapter 20, if we go back and we'd read those Ten Commandments, how many of them do you truly think that you've kept? All of them? Most of them? Some of them? Or none of them. Church, let's be honest. We've all broken every one of them at one point or another. We haven't kept even one of them perfectly in our hearts or in our mind. None of us is without idols of some form. There are times when we've all put other people, our possessions, our jobs, sports, sleep, other priorities, we've put them ahead of God. And if you say you haven't done this, that's not true. Because I'm sure we've all lied at one point. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. Mine was just this little white lie. Yeah, friend, but it was a lie. You might as well come up to me and claim that you were the Pope. And out of discontentment, we've all, we wanted something that someone else had. And friends, those are just the ones that we can remember. Imagine all the times that we have sinned in thought and deed. And those are times that we don't even know we were doing it. We had no idea that it was going on. Now, some of you might be expecting me now to just whip out a copy of the Ten Commandments and start going through theirs and, and allow you to begin grading yourself based on your performance. And then I'm going to ask you to start working on thinking about areas where you can improve where you struggle most. Friends, I've got to tell you, that's the farthest thing from my mind this morning. Instead, what I want is this. For all of us to finally treat the law with the respect that it deserves. As that standard against which we all fall short. Friends, we need to come clean. Face it, you and I, we cannot keep the law. Not for a week, not for a day, not even for an hour. But praise God. Praise God that someone kept it for us. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen, right? Yeah. Someone once put it this way, and I love the way he said this. He said, if our greatest need is for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. 
He sent us Jesus Christ, His only Son. He alone is our Savior. He alone is our hope. Won't you put all your hopes in Him? Put your faith in what He has done for you on that cross in Calvary. Sure, use the law as the guidelines, the borders, the boundaries of life that to walk within. But put all your faith, all your hope, all your trust in Him because only He can save your life. Would you do that today? Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed and thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.